This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Elizabeth Grigsby, many of you know Liz. Um, uh, Liz is a, a client a advocate for the Re- Golden Gate Regional Center. Liz has spoken at the conference many times, and she is going to introduce the Shriver Award winner, Amy Wrestling, who is going to accept the award on behalf of the ARCA organization, which is the California uh, Association of Regional Centers. I think I said that right? Yes. Okay, good. Um, And each year we award an organization or group who's made a a considerable contribution to improving the health and the lives of people with developmental disabilities in California. And uh, there's no better organization uh, than ARCA to actually receive the award this year. And I think we started the conference hearing about the history of the Lanterman Act and the history of the regional centers. And it's really our pleasure to acknowledge their incredible work over the last 50 years, has it been? So uh, let's just give a little round of applause for... Just a second. Here we are. Okay. Sorry for that. I would like to talk about a lady, Amy Wesling. Amy Wesling. Is currently the interim executive director of the Association of Regional Centers Agencies, ARCA. She joined ARCA in 2012 and has focused on services for children at risk of developmental disabilities. Assessing health is insurance funding for autism services and the service system. Prior to that, she worked for Alta California Regional Center, coordinating the movement of individuals with developmental disabilities from institutional to community. Yes! <laughs> Settings. And she also worked for Central Valley Regional Center and overseeing services, coordinating 
in rural Merced and Mariposa counties. Amy also worked for Individuals of Disability Rights California, advocating for individuals with developmental disabilities in the Central Valley. Amy earned both her bachelor's degree in social work and master's of public administration from California State University in Fresno. So it's my pleasure to introduce Amy Wesley. Thank, thank you, Liz. Thank you all so much for being here, and thank you, Liz, for um, that great introdu introduction. I really appreciate it, and I uh, first just want to welcome, or just want to say thank you um, again for being here, and on behalf of the Association of Regional Center Agencies, and um, really on behalf of all the regional centers in California, um, thank you for uh, the award. So today, um, just wanted to talk a little bit about our service system and what makes us unique in California and where we think we're headed. Okay. And today we'll talk briefly about the structure and history of California's developmental services system because we never get tired of talking about ourselves. <laughs> we'll talk about how the feds look at us. And we'll talk about factors that are going to shape our future, or those that we think will. And then we'll try to reserve a few minutes at the end for a question and answer. So what makes California's system unique? California's system is unique because um, it began with families. It began with families saying, I want an alternative that's different from institutional care. In the 1960s, California supported over 13,000 individuals uh, with developmental disabilities in state-run developmental centers. And there was a waiting list to get in. And families came to the legislature and said there has to be a better way. And um, through cooperation between um, both Republicans and Democrats, the service system was developed. And to this day, it remains um, widely supported in a bipartisan way. At that time, federal funding was only available for institutional care, but California made a commitment to serve people with developmental disabilities in community settings, um, even without that. Now every state in the country has a developmental services system um, that is community-based, but ours remains uh, one of the few entitlement states. Other states will tell you they're an entitlement, and we like to disagree with them. Um, and the other thing that makes our system really unique is it's not government run. It is designed to be responsive to the individual needs of individual communities. Because the state, when they were putting the system together, together, came to the realization that the needs of individuals and families in this area are very different than those of individuals and families in Fresno. The challenges and the gaps in services are all very different. So each regional center has a, an independent board of directors, 
and 50% of that board must be um, either individuals with developmental disabilities or their family members to ensure that the system remains responsive to those who rely on it. Really, the regional center is here for three real basic purposes, to help infants and toddlers to reach their developmental potential, to help children to stay at home with their families. Because remember, this was at a time when if you had a child with a developmental disability, you could either put them on that waiting list for the developmental center, or you could take them home and take care of them entirely on your own. And too many families were making the first choice out of necessity. And then the third goal of the system is to support adults to live as independently as possible. Regional centers don't do the day-to-day, hands-on work with individuals, but they, but they fulfill a lot of important functions. They provide intake and eligibility to ensure that people who qualify for services are brought in. They provide lifelong service planning, talking about what is it that you need and how can we help you get it. They provide clinical support, um, oftentimes acting as a hub of excellence for medical information in their communities. Regional centers were designed to fill in gaps in services. They aren't here to take the place of other services, but they're here to help you access um, other services in your community through things such as Medi-Cal, in-home supportive services, special education, and the like. And lastly, regional centers fulfill a critical function in meeting federal expectations because while the system was started without federal dollars, um, today it relies on a tremendous amount of federal funding. Speaking of which, you'll see that, and I wish the colors came out a little better, but that's okay. Um, the first 40% of the funding in our system is federal dollars. And so it's essential that we meet those expectations of the federal government and keep those dollars coming. Um, at this time, the regional center system has a total budget of $6.1 billion or so, with about $2.5 billion of that coming from federal reimbursement. Okay, so because of the money, we care a lot about what the federal government thinks, right? So the way our service system is structured, and please um, excuse the crude flowchart. It was my first time making one, and I was super proud of it, so I stuck it on the slide. (laughs) (laughs) But basically, service providers report to the regional center Um, about the progress of the individual as well as um, for billing purposes. The regional centers bill the Department of Developmental Services. The Department of Developmental Services bills the federal government. Money comes out of the federal government and it all goes back up the stream the other direction. Um, The reason that it all goes through, or the vast majority of it goes through the Department of Healthcare Services is they are what we call our statewide or single state entity for Medicaid. Basically, the federal government doesn't want to talk to every department in the state, or in any state for that matter. So most of this funding is Medicaid funding, and it has to flow through the Department of Healthcare Services. Okay. The federal government pushes a lot of initiatives on states. And the good news is that in California, we've always had a very progressive system. We've always wanted to see people participating in their communities. We've always wanted to see people living independent lives. 
And so some of the trends that are being pushed at the federal government, at the federal level, are much tougher for other states than they are for California at this time. And some pose a challenge, frankly, because of the scale of our system. We serve 300,000 individuals with developmental disabilities in the state of California. Um, other states, for example, uh, the state of Tennessee serves about 8,000. And so you'll begin to see why that's a challenge for us. First and foremost, the federal government wants to see person-centered planning. They want to see that the person and their needs and their individual wants and desires are, are central to the determination of what services they will receive. I heard one speaker one time refer to this as finding that balance between what someone needs and what someone wants, what, is, what the person requires, and what makes their life worth living. And that's really how we look at it. So we don't, you know, it is possible to meet someone's health and safety needs without really giving them the life that they desire. And that's really the balance that we strive to achieve here in California. We started doing person-centered planning in one form um, in 1992 in this state, and other states are just now starting down this path. Conflict-free case management. In California, as I mentioned, regional centers don't provide that day-to-day -day direct support. In some other states, the agencies that provide the case management function are also service providers, and you could see the potential for conflicts of interest there. The federal government wants to see higher levels of community integration. They want to see people out in their communities, and they want to see people part of their communities. And um, we... Are, continually, are continuously growing and changing in this way, um, having less settings that are set aside just for people with disabilities and more, finding more creative ways to support people in natural communities, which we believe is good not only for the individual but for the community as well. There's also an emphasis on greater levels of community employment. As we know, employment isn't just about a paycheck. It's about a sense of belonging. It's about finding a community. It's about creating a space for yourself in that community. And so the emphasis at the federal level and at the state level as well is on helping people to find their place in this world. Measuring outcomes. We can really, me and we can really easily measure what we provide, but we're working hard to begin to measure the ultimate impact on someone's life. We don't just want to provide services. We want to provide services that make people's lives better and that make them fulfilled and that help them to achieve their goals. One method for measuring progress in this way is the National Core Indicators Project, which um, soon all 50 states will participate in, and it allows us to compare outcomes from California to other states and also um, at different, across regional centers as well. So, for instance, here is a chart from the National Core Indicators. This is the proportion of people who describe themselves as having poor health. And this is the national chart, I believe. Yes, it says all states. Um, so you can see the percentages there. And then you can see in California 
that we have a greater number of people who report themselves being in good health and less people reporting themselves being in poor health. And those are the kinds of outcomes that we want to see. Those show us that services aren't just being provided for their own sake, but they're making a difference. Okay, as we look ahead, the state is asking lots of questions um, of the service system. We're not a stagnant system. We continue to grow. Next year, it's expected that we'll grow by 14,000 individuals, um, which is about a 3.6% growth rate, which far exceeds the growth of the population in the state. And over time, our demographics have shifted. We're seeing far more individuals with autism. We're seeing larger numbers of people who are outliving their caregivers. And we're having to figure out what to do with an older geriatric population. The system is also asking what services and supports will help the families to stay together. Here in California, 78% of individuals with developmental disabilities live at home with their families. Um, and that is essential to the way our system works, providing critical family support services to help families to stay together when that's the desired outcome. We're also beginning to look at and continuing to look at what are the opportunities for what to do next? What, where can we enhance the system? And finally, how can funding be adjusted to ensure that it remains sustainable? We have an entitlement system here in California. Individuals are entitled to um, services and supports, um, but every year the system must continue to seek out funding through the legislative process. Okay, concerns on the horizon. So now we're glancing across the country to Washington. And I know people in this room are really concerned about all the things that they're hearing out of Washington, and so are we. Um, so the four things that could have a major impact on our service system are, of course, cha any changes to the Affordable Care Act. Some of our funding, uh, as I mentioned, much of it is Medicaid funding, so we serve the Medicaid expansion population. We also um, receive a few hundred million dollars a year through an expansion of federal funding specifically for our service system that was part of the Affordable Care Act. So we're continuing to watch these things. We also know that because our system fills in gaps, in services that when ga new gaps open up, that poses a problem. So if people begin to lose health care or if they lose access to other services, that's a problem for the people that we support. We're also very concerned about Medicaid funding structures. You know, you hear um, in Washington talk of Medicaid block granting. And uh, this is at least the third time that idea has been put forward but we're still concerned um, for a number of reasons. First, Medicaid block granting is really hard on high-growth states. We're a high-growth state. Um, additionally, we're unclear what that will look like because Medicaid funds don't just go to fund doctor's appointments and physical therapy. They also go to fund a number of social services um, through the regional center, through IHSS, through all kinds of things. And so that's a very real concern for the system. Any changes to Medicare? Also a concern for our system. We have a number of people, particularly those who have the greatest levels of medical fragility, who are medi-medi, 
and so changes to the Medicare funding structure could adversely impact them. And there's also talk of changes to special education. Again, we look at the comprehensive whole person and we have to think about what are the challenges that not only our system will face, but that these individuals that we support will face and their families will face. So those are things that we continue to monitor and um, continue to uh, try to educate our lawmakers about. So, as if that's not depressing enough, <laughs> and sadly those are the things that keep me up at 3 a.m., thinking about um, Medicaid block granting. Hopefully you all, if you're up at that hour, have something else to worry about. Um, but a final thought. Our system turned 50 years old last year. And there's a great video called We're Here to Speak for Justice. If you haven't seen it, please take the time out to do it. It's from those inspirational families who founded our system and who gave us the backbone of what we do today. And one of them said, we were clearing away new paths to get the work done, to get what we needed. They didn't exist, so we had to work on it so that they did exist. And today we consider ourselves continuing to chart new paths where they, know, where they didn't exist yesterday. Any questions? You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.